This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. It's the Accounting Influencers Podcast once more. I'm Rob Brown. This is Martin Bissett with me. And we are looking ahead to what is coming up on this week's show. Martin, in the news this week, people spending big money at Super Bowls. Absolutely. And not just on the medium Pepsi either. The 7 million price tag that was charged for 60 seconds of commercials, was that something you would spend your money on in your marketing budget, in your firm? Because there is an organization who's doing exactly that and they're trying to get your clients. We'll find out more in the news. Then we've got an interview with Bill Reeb from the Succession Institute. Bill is a long-term fan of the show and he talks about hybrid work and he works with very big firms in the U.S., and there is a new way of developing your people and adapting to what is going on with these challenges. So you'll hear from him. And then in Here's What Works, Martin, we showed accountants how to turn conversations into business. Yeah. Often practices ask, you know, what do we say? What's the exact language? And I often flippantly respond, we'll try hi, follow up with how are you, and then shut up and listen. But it's true. Many accountants struggle to understand how an initial conversation results in a fee-paying client. So here's what works. We show you exactly how that is done, how it's been done for years, how it will continue to be done. All you've got to do is implement. Yep. And then we talked to Kevin McCallum at Accountancy Manager, and he's going to share with us the evolution of accounting software. You accounting practitioners listening, you'll hear more and more the increasingly loud voice of vendors dictating the agenda, pushing their technology on you, guiding the decisions that you make, showing you how to do your job. We'll talk about how that's advanced and who really has the power. And then, Martin, we look at an interesting topic on our Saturday bonus. You know what? Whenever somebody does an impression of an accountant, we often adopt the 1940s BBC radio presenter style thing. I'm an accountant, you know, you know, sort of thing. And in this, uh, when we're talking about snobbery and accountancy, um, we've got this this uh, episode here, which is too good for sales coaching. Again, from drawn from the career. And when you're used to people coming in and saying they want to use you, when business falls into your lap, when you grow organically as standard, then you'll be forgiven for thinking that you can convert every opportunity that comes your way, or at least most of them. But the reality is that there's a great difference, a world of difference between a business coming to say, I've already decided to work with you, where do I sign? A referral. And a business who is going, all right, I'll listen to what you've got to say. I'm interested. Go on, talk to me. Two completely different skill sets required to get those two over the line. Unfortunately, the accounting profession doesn't often make the distinction, and therefore they're too good for sales coaching because, of course, they say, well, you don't understand. I confirm 95%, and there's that voice again. I can't confirm 95% of everything I've ever seen, Martin. I don't know. training. And that, and that happens. So whether you are from the 1940s or not, you're not too good for sales coaching, I'm afraid, because it wasn't part of your past, but it is going to be part of your future. Yes, and in this Big Monday show, you'll get most of those segments. The Saturday bonus, you'll have to tune in as a standalone episode. Thank you to our 21,000-plus listeners all over the world in 150 countries. We really appreciate you sharing the show, reviewing the show, listening in to multiple episodes. Whatever you're doing, have a fantastic week. Make sure you check in on earmarkcpe.com to get your continued professional development and education points. We are helping accounting practitioners all over the world upskill and sell better and serve better their business clients. Have a really great day. Let's get moving.
And thank you to our special sponsors, Iris Software. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think people don't understand about Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD phase one because they were the first software vendor to be listed as approved by the HMRC for MTD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where do they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole Making Tax Digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. So we come to that point of the show where we discuss the news. This is what's happening, what is hot, what is not, what's going on in the world of accounting and fintech. And we ask the legend that is Martin Bissett to browse his eyes over the industry, the profession, and say what's caught your eye this week. So Martin, what's in our agenda today? Well, it's more of a legend of the profession than legend, Rob. But uh, nevertheless, as listeners listen to this, the Super Bowl will be in the history books. And so I won't spoil it by telling you that the Realms won. But nevertheless, it's the Super Bowl halftime that I want to draw your attention to, because there's an article that's appeared in Accounting Web, which is by Richard Hattersley. And although Accounting Web guys spans the Atlantic, this is a UK writer writing about a US event. And he makes a very interesting point where he says, last weekend's Super Bowl, at the time that he wrote, in order to get just a 30-second advert, deep-pocketed companies had to hand over an eye-watering sum usually only discussed on this site when we're talking about COVID loan fraud. But the US accounting software giant TurboTax, which we know is owned by Intuit, was one of the companies that coughed up, you ready for this, Rob? $6.5 million for a 30-second advert at the Super Bowl. Now, why did they do that? Got too much money? Well, possibly. But the audience for the Super Bowl is 112.3 million viewers. And TurboTax is a product which goes to the mass market. It's looking for the small business owner, the smaller tax returns, and so on. So they had the opportunity to get in front of 112.3 potential customers or existing customers and retain them. And so $6.5 million, when it's split between 112.3 million prospects, isn't actually that much money per prospect. But what we do know is that there's nobody in accounting who can match this. Not even the big four can match this. So we've got to understand that this, just like COVID's here to stay and we're living with COVID now, well, tax solutions that go straight to the consumer are here to stay. And as accounting firms, we have to work out how to live with them, not how to compete against them. It's a fascinating play. And I wonder what the advertiser that sold that spot to TurboTax was saying. Because TurboTax will have come up with all the objections that we did, Martin. Well, 112 million, but when the ads come on, people will go off and make a cup of tea or top up their beers or go and get more nachos in between the game or go to the bathroom. So let's half that audience or even quarter it. But they still must be going through the metrics and saying, we can still make this work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Richard goes on to make a point about flashy adverts crossing the Atlantic because he says, we've also started to see a similar phenomenon on this side of the Atlantic, meaning the UK, with the likes of Sage, 
Zero, and of course QuickBooks, all up in their stakes in the UK accounting ad game. Now, we were discussing privately, Rob, that I was watching a football match with my team recently, and during halftime, there was a commercial for all three during the halftime. So he says that avid Coronation Street fans, and for our worldwide listeners, that's the UK's longest-running soap, and I think the world's longest-running soap opera now, will now often hear making tax digital boom over a catchy soundtrack during the soaps ad breaks as they patiently wait for the next installment of, hey, look, and shall I make a brew, our kid? And that, and that sort of thing. So Richard using good Northern stereotypes there. Um, so he makes the point, Rob, this is Richard Hattersley, that software houses have done a great job in publicizing the looming MTD rollout. The people who haven't made a good job of it is HMRC themselves. How many times though, Martin, have you looked at, been watching television with your missus, as I have with mine, and... Looked at an ad for a car or an aftershave or whatever it was and said, that's a decent ad, but it would never make me go out and buy that. But I, we're missing the point in that nobody's going to be looking at this ad from TurboTax in the middle of the Super Bowl and saying, right, I need to stop what I'm doing. Go on the TurboTax website and buy right now. They are paying for eyeballs. They're paying for brand awareness so that when they pick up the phone to a small business or whatever their other marketing is, people say, ah, I heard of you, I saw you in the Super Bowl, or whatever it is. That's the game, isn't it? It is, and as is social proof. So when they ask around to see what their pals use, it's TurboTax, 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 wherever they go. Or they ask, have you heard of us? Yeah, and in the UK, who do you use? Zero, 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 wherever you go. And it's because of all of that exposure that has led people to go, oh, I'm not even going to think about a decision. I'm not even going to weigh up four or five different options. I'm going to buy the thing that I know that I can think of that's very easy to access, very cheap to purchase, and let my accountant worry about it if I get stuck. So up till now, I think many accounting firms, certainly in the mid-markets and lower mid-markets, have seen these things as threats. And I think we're now probably post-threat. It's how do we live with it? Because the software houses have got bored waiting for accountants to resell their product for them. So they've just cut out the accountant altogether, as we've long predicted, and gone straight to end user. Now, accountants have a normal refrain here, Rob, where they say, oh, well, that's fine because it's crap in, crap out. So once they make a mistake, we'll get paid to clean it up. And they think, look, clever me. <laughs> I've, I've overcome that threat straight away. And what they're not thinking, of course, is what the software can do in three years, not what it can do today. So how long until accountants aren't needed to do cleanups either? How many accounting firms actually want to get involved in cleaning up messes as their major profitable uh, endeavor? So I think now where we're at, and this is what the news is, is that we now as accounting firms learn to live with these people going direct to market and we support business owners as they get to grips with software and not try and compete. Yeah, there's so many interesting things to come out of that. Are we looking at the obsolescence or irrelevance of accountants? Are they doing themselves any good? With Can they compete with the power of vendors who have six, seven million dollars to spare on an ad like that? Yeah, that's the extrapolation. Are we seeing you know the usual cry, death of compliance? No, we're not seeing death of compliance. We're not seeing death of accountants. But the marginalization in some way, they're losing out in some aspect, aren't they? Yeah, profit marginalization. That's where we're seeing it. It's a squeeze on fees again. So the, the, the low end uh, of the work that firms carry out is going to become even less profitable than it was previously, unless some additional value is identified. And therefore, we're expecting an accounting firm to be able to sell that additional value. So that's a, that's a, a big ask. The other play here, Martin, is that we're here in the UK. 
Super Bowl's getting big now. American football's getting big. We get games coming over here to play in London. So my nephew is a quarterback in a local American football team here in Nottingham, home of Robin Hood. So TurboTax is not in the UK, as far as I know, but that play to sponsor the Super Bowl, I don't know if those ads will show in the UK, but they're after an international audience because American football is global. You're absolutely right. There has been a game at Wembley as part of the NFL regular season schedule now for many years. Next year, there will be one in Germany for the first time, and I believe up to three in the UK. And as you say, why is that? Because the NFL are trying to build a global brand, not an American brand. What will advertisers do? They'll go where the eyeballs are. If the NFL make a success of it, that's where the advertisers will go. And we've got to realize that buyer behavior is going to change. Our clients are going to say, can you support TurboTax? Or I'm not bringing bringing you in unless you support TurboTax or Xero or Sage. Other general ledger products are available. So let's finish this off, Martin. It's a powerful message with lots of things to be learned from this. What is the final send away for the accounting practitioners listening here? And indeed, some of the other vendors that don't have the pockets that TurboTax have. For many years, a conference speaker would stand up and say, change is coming, change is coming, and it's over. Change has happened. Past tense, it's done. And the tech companies are getting bigger, not smaller. And they are bypassing accountants now without even pretending. Uh, That's what they're doing. So it's all done and dusted. The accounting practitioner now says, right. So if that does have the consequence that you're predicting, boys, that we're going to squeeze on our low-end stuff, then what do we offer that's high-end stuff and how do we bring it to market? That becomes the conversation now at partner meetings in accounting firms. Yeah, and that is the news. We'll put the link to the accounting web article by Richard Addersley in the show notes. Does Richard conclude similar, Martin, in his final remarks? Uh, Richard very much looks at the MTD HMRC angle. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm using lots of uh, acronyms there again. That's Making Tax Digital and Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. For our US listeners, think IRS equivalent. So he looks at what the HMRC are going to do. For for us on this show, it's far more about what practitioners are going to do. Well, that is the news. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. fly. The Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to the show and I'm thrilled to have back with me today as our special guest, Bill Reeb. Bill, good day to you. Thanks for having me. Bill, you've been on the show before. We love the stuff you talk about with leadership and management and accountability. And last time we had you on the show, We weren't really into the global pandemic that is COVID, but we're in challenging times. So we're going to unpunt that. You're doing a lot with professional firms all over the world. Just for people that haven't come across you, give us a little bit about your background and your key areas of passion. Well, my key areas of passion is the profession. You know, outside of that, it'd be golf and martial arts. But in my seven days a week uh, work (laughs) life... I, uh, my passion is trying to help our professionals uh, evolve and grow because the, the world around us just constantly pushes us to get better. And, and because we're global, our competitors are everywhere. And there's a lot of people that can operate on uh, much lower economies of scale because of their environment that they're in. So it's a very competitive marketplace and nobody can sit back and say, you know, I've made it, I can relax. Everybody's being pushed. That's a really good point already, right out of the gate, because everybody's contending with something. Nobody's immune from the stresses, the overload, the sheer workload, the remote style of working now in COVID. The world is changing. So you talk about the profession with a lot of passion there. 
What kind of shape do you feel the profession is in generally, professional services as a whole? Well, I would say that the, the CPA firm of the future will shift to be a professional services firm. Okay. I think that when you start looking at where we're going, accounting is just a table stakes. If you're playing poker, it's table stakes. Uh, to be able to do accounting is table stakes, but we have to be able to help our clients. Uh, what do you operate. mean by table stakes, Bill? Just translate that for our international audience. Well, if you want to sit down at a poker table, you have to ante up to play every game just, okay. just to get in. So yes. in the game, people bet by the cards and all those kind of things. But just to be able to play, you have to have a certain amount of commitment, a certain amount of knowledge, a certain amount of, in this case, a certain amount of money to just yeah. be able to play along with everybody else. So being a good accountant is table stakes. So you don't even get to play in the world that we are if you aren't a good accountant. So then the next question is, so what do I need to bring? Well, a good accountant is going to be being a trusted advisor. A good accountant is probably going to be connected to some kind of wealth management. A good trusted advisor is going to probably deal with some kind of estate issues because we have a lot of baby boomers around the world retiring. A good accountant is going to deal with what are the critical success factors that we have to monitor to help you make the decisions. A good accountant is going to have to deal with all of the layers from data to decision. And quite frankly, our profession has been so overwhelmed just trying to get data that we often avoid the path from data to decision. And the other part is that many, many people in our profession, when it comes to data, are only focused on financial data, when in fact, the world is saying you can't operate a business without looking at holistically financial and non-financial data, because the data itself, if it's just financial, is you're operating with uh, one leg and one hand tied together and trying to run a race. You just can't do that. And accountants, they collect more data than anyone through the software they, they run, through the data points, financial information of their clients. There's a lot of overload and overwhelm. Are you detecting that in the professionals you talk to? Yeah, the, the thing is we're overloaded with data, but we're not overloaded with relevant data. <laughs> yes. And we're not making you know, sense of it and telling the story behind the data to make decisions, as you say. We are not because we get so caught up with, I mean, think about it from a simple perspective. If a financial statement, and even in today's time, getting a financial statement 15 days after the end of the month, if that's considered still a reasonable practice, that's 45 days late after mm. an event has occurred, up to 45 days late. Well, if I, you find a business owner that's making decisions 45 days after every event, we got a business that's going out of business. So we need to become far more conscious of what's going on, not only from the data of the financial transaction, but what about the forecasting? What about what's coming in and the what's in the backlog? What about merging all of that together? I remember when I was with IBM before I became a CPA and I, I sold computers and worked in the construction and manufacturing area and we started doing MRP, which was just material requirements planning. But all of a sudden I had to know what was coming in. I had to know what we had in. I had to know what the inventory was. I had to know what my personnel was. I had to blend all that together so I could figure out what I actually need. Now in the pandemic, we have constraints everywhere. We not only have people constraints, we have material constraints. We have interaction constraints. We have all kinds of additional constraints and at the end of the day, what matters most to our clients is help me survive, help me meet our goals. Well, if all I'm giving you is a summary of what happened a month ago, two months ago, five months ago in an audit, then what good are we when it comes to helping me meet my goals? I'm not saying that's not important. I'm saying we have, a, we have another job to do, and we're so busy doing the first job, we're not doing the second one. 
which mm. then leads me to the comment that over time between AI, artificial intelligence, between globalization of workers, because we know we could go out to different parts of the world and find workers at 20, 25 cents on the dollar compared to what we might pay in the US. If you're gonna focus on what I call the commodity work, then plan on over the next five, six, seven years between the commodity work being automated between bots coming in and people writing bots to bridge between one software package and another, between using that globalized workforce, prices are gonna go down and down and down. And if that's where your bread and butter is, imagine a $10 million firm that five years from now, if they stay on their current course, will be growing and growing and growing and then consider 50% of that fall off the face of the earth. It's They're not prepared for that. It is no. frightening. That's exactly right. And so as long as we're evolving and we're adding that advisory component, the stickiness of the lower end work won't matter. It's going to be there because I can't give advice if I don't have it. So the fact that I can get it significantly cheaper, I'm not going to move from that because what I really care about is, did you take the time to help me run my business? And it's clear that not all CPA firms have stepped up in the pandemic. Some have fallen short in being proactive in upskilling on the level of expertise they have to deal with the complexity of something like COVID. But let's touch for a moment, Bill, on the modern day CPA accounting firm workplace, hybrid, remote. The game has changed, isn't it, from when you were back as a CPA? Absolutely. What I would first start out with is we're an apprentice-based business. And, and that means we learn from watching and getting constant feedback. So we're an apprentice-based business. Imagine if you were a blacksmith, which a blacksmith would you know, for example, create horseshoes and then nail them onto the horse. Well, imagine teaching over a video how to take this piece of iron, mold it into a horseshoe, cool it down to the right temperature, and then nail it onto a horse. We'd have no one that survived the first two weeks of being a blacksmith because they'd all be kicked in the face and die from the horse. So my point is, there's some things that's really hard to learn. Information can be communicated over a channel like this, but the practical application of that, that experience, that failure in doing it in a safe way where somebody is there to then show you where you've missed and show you what you need now to learn, that interactive process is much and much, much harder in a virtual environment. I am not saying it can't be done, but I am saying it is much more difficult. And a lot of people have just kind of defaulted and said, hey, we're in a virtual environment, get over it. Everybody can work virtually. Well, here's what I would tell you. And I know that I sound like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino walking out with a baseball bat. It's like, get off my yard. I, I know that. But at the same time, what I will tell you is during the pandemic, what we've seen is the people that know what they're doing don't know how to stop because they're at home. That office is right there. They're working not six days a week. They're working all the time. They'll work and then they go back to work. So they're overstressing themselves. But we also have a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. Now, imagine somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, who's feeling insecure about saying, I don't know what I'm doing, who mm -hmm. is trying their best to try to figure it out, but they also don't and are not used to self-motivation, the self-motivation of getting up, getting dressed, get to that workplace, which is your desk at home and working. We have a lot of people that are also taking that seven, eight, nine, 10 hour day and calling it even when they put in five or six. And it's not the same hours. And we have to be able to resolve this. And quite frankly, the, the, the way to resolve it is going to be through much, much better management skills. Well, we'll dip into some of the solutions, but I love your analogy of the apprentice. 
it was standing by them over the shoulder. You do as I do. You watch it. Let me check what you're doing. It was very hands-on, learning on the job. That was how you absorbed your trade, wasn't it, back in the day? But developing culture, coaching people like that is so difficult to do when everybody's remote. It is. And recently, we've gone through a particular uh, consulting job, and some of the interviews have been in person, and some of them have been over Zoom. And I will tell you the, uh, the, the virtual interviews, same questions. The virtual interviews do not reap the same information, the same quality of information. They don't richness. even come close. That's right, richness. Yeah, they yeah. don't even reach the same level, no virtual level of connection versus what you get in person. And I'm not saying everything needs to be in person, but I'm saying virtual is a tool that today I'm amazed that we didn't use 10 years ago because it was available. But we were just used to picking up the phone, and that's the way we've always done it, so that's the way we did it. I, I'm amazed that we were so slow to pick up virtual. But at the same time, virtual cannot replace the, the learning that takes place in, in person. It just can't. The, the richness, uh, that's a great word, just simply isn't there. But what are firms going to do? Because some CPAs don't want to go back to the long commute. They don't go want to go back to the office. They like the convenience of virtual, maybe some kind of hybrid, but you're never going to get everybody back in. Do we need everybody back in? Well, we don't need everybody back in. But the fact is that there are certain things that we want people in more than others. For example, if you're new to the job, you need to be in. And you right. need to be watching and learning. And then when you get pretty good at the job, you can start taking more virtual time. But the idea that I can get promoted into a new job, don't know what I'm doing, and I'm going to pick it all up at home, I think is a little bit of a stretch. Uh, the, the second thing is, as we look at where virtual is going, it doesn't help if I work for you, Rob, and I come in on Monday and Tuesday, and you come in on Thursday and Friday. Well, we're both there two days a week. But we didn't overlap at all. So I come into the office and nobody's there to teach me anything anyway. So yeah. that just says, why come in at all? So we have to coordinate some of this stuff. One of the problems leaders say with the whole virtual thing is I can't keep track of this. I don't know exactly what people are doing. There's this lack of accountability. You talk a lot about this to firms all over the world. Unpack that a little bit for us. Well, accountability says that you or in this case, me, if I'm the one that we're holding accountable, I know what's expected of me. And my job is to deliver on that expectation, which means one, clarity up front as to what I'm supposed to do. Two, I am actually responsible for delivering whatever product or service it is. And if I, if I get in trouble and I don't know what I'm doing, I am responsible for immediately picking up the phone, getting on with somebody and trying to figure out what to do. I, I can't be passive and say, okay, somebody, you need to be managing me every second. You need to be on top of me. So to make sure that I'm getting everything done. However, at the same time, while I am responsible for doing that, if I don't know what I'm doing, and I, we use these words very clearly and very consistently, am I consistently, successfully, with limited oversight, performing a specific task? If the answer to any of those three questions, not all of them, in other words, any three, if any one of them is wrong or a no, you are not prepared to do this on your own, which mm -hmm. means I need to supplement that with training. I need to supplement that with check-ins, frequent check-ins with higher oversight. And we're not managing people at that level. We simply what I say the typical accounting firm across the world does is we give you a job, we throw you in the deep end of the swimming pool, we come back three or four hours later and see if you survived. You know, and, and if we can do that enough and you survive enough, we call you one of the good ones. And if, if you don't survive, if you've just been paddling in the water and you haven't made any progress, we just stop giving you work. Uh, and that's no way to be because what we're doing is we're putting 
this incredibly high stress on the people pulling the wagon. And we're letting more and more people jump on the back of the wagon and ride. And we're making very little distinction between the pullers and the riders. So one of the phenomena that's happened due to COVID is that we're seeing, and we've always seen people at the lower end of success in that environment. The marginal workers, you might That's call. right. The yeah. marginal workers, we've always seen turnover there. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're seeing a lot of turnover in our best workers. And wow. part of that is because they are tired of seeing virtually no distinction between them getting up every day and the number of people they feel like are jumping on the back of the wagon as they pull it. And they are starting to say, you know something, you keep promising you're going to fix this, but you're fixing it by loading me up with more and more and more work. If you want me to stay, you better start doing something about that. So I, as a puller, can actually have work-life balance too, rather than every day have to make up for everyone else that's riding that you don't seem to care about. You're touching on so many great points, Bill, that I'd love to unpack. Mental well-being, mental health, mental resilience. These are all things that are premium now in accounting professionals. And in the challenging world that we're in, what tips do you have, words of advice for us in that regard? Well, I'm probably not the best one to answer that question. I mean, to me, I've been in martial arts 30 years. Part of the focus of that whole skill building is the mental focus that you have. So I probably am, am less able to answer that question than a lot of other people. But here's what I will say. Yes, it is tough in a virtual environment. Yes, you have to self-motivate. Yes, you have to drive yourself. All of those things are true. And people have a lot of problems, all of us do, due to isolation. And the more we don't get outside and see the sun, there's so Mm. many effects that we have that can cause mental frustration and mental dissatisfaction. What I'm saying to you is everybody wasn't meant to work at home five days a week. So many times we solve some of this mental frustration by simply making sure that we are around people and that I'm not isolated and that I am learning because that creates all those emotional juices where I feel like I'm getting better and I feel like I'm connected to people. The more you're isolated, it takes a certain type of personality to enjoy being isolated all the Mm -hmm. time. And even the ones that like being isolated still need that feeling of at least having a community around them. And this COVID environment has created a situation where many people feel like their community is gone. Certainly, there's an onus on self to be self-motivated to upskill. There's also an onus on the employers, the firms themselves, the leadership there to recruit and retain that kind of talent by looking after the people. What are you seeing the great firms doing that perhaps the good ones are not to bring in and keep the good talent? We need to be able to respond to people, but it comes back to that same comment I made before. It's about management. So if I I am managing you and I am talking to you every day, every other day, if I am checking with you to see how you're doing against expectations, if I'm checking with you to see what you need training in, if I'm looking over your work, you know, two or three times every month to make sure I'm looking for gaps and, and where you need assistance, I am connected enough with you that I will be able to see that deterioration that's going on. And Mm -hmm. I can create some intervention to help. But the problem is we have a lot of people, we might see an email from them. We might Mm -hmm. see a chat response. We might see them on a Zoom call going like this, but we have no full awareness of them because we don't typically in firms have a direct reporting system. We have a matrix organization. And if you truly want to get to where we can help deal with this, the, the mental issues, these mental health issues you're talking about, then I need to know who my boss is. I need to know who's in charge of making sure I know what's expected and is telling me how I'm doing and giving me feedback on a regular basis, both good and bad. 
And being able to check in with me and know me well enough to know that changes are going on and when I should step in and when I need to leave you alone, et cetera. We have such an arm's length uh, scenario in our normal environment because everybody manages everybody. Well, if everybody manages everybody, no one's responsible to manage anybody. And if we're going to have this environment, don't I need to know who not only me is responsible for my performance, but I want to know that you are also responsible to help me get to where I need to go. And that it's not just on me, that I that I am surrounded by an advocate and I've got a team behind me to help me get there. So let's say I waved a magic wand, Bill, and made you the global czar of the accounting profession. I put you in charge of the whole thing and you have full oversight over the profession internationally. Some firm, the firms have responsibilities, the accountants themselves have responsibilities, but as the governing body, the professional institutes, the associations, they set the examinations, they set the agenda in some respects. You're in charge of all of that now. What's top of your agenda? Well, that's a tough one. You just love to put people in You've never been asked that before, have you? (laughs) (laughs) And it'll never happen. So you you won't be held accountable for your answer. Yeah. I I could just hear some of the people at the ASCPA say, oh my God, Bill was put as the czar. What a horrible horrible decision Rob made on that. Uh, It's like so many things in life. It is a web of issues. And unfortunately, Mm. they're all connected. Yeah. And if you try to say, well, we'll just go fix this or we'll fix this we're missing the fact that it's connected with these other things. So one, people typically want to be able to work and have a career path and have a raise and feel satisfied about their job. So there's all of that. I've got to teach and I've got to train and I've got to help people move along that career path the way they want to. I also have responsibility to help people. There's so much focus at the national and state organizations in the U.S. about mental health and how do we help mental health and how do we watch for that? And there are lots of programs that provide assistance for people that need that help. And I think that's really critical. But we also have to create an open channels so that we're talking about that so that people aren't embarrassed about saying I've got a problem I need some help with this because if we don't have those communications it is very difficult we already know that in COVID we've seen you know higher suicide rates we've seen a number of bad statistics that come out from this and the fact is that's because we have so much isolation going on and so many people feeling like they're alone so consequently the question you've asked is let's say there's 10 things If you try to address them all independently, they still won't make a difference because they have to be interwoven together. And if you would say, what is that one thing that that we're seeing is making a difference in firms and not only retention, but in the overall satisfaction of their personnel is feeling like they're not alone, feeling like somebody is there to help them, feeling like they're accountable for what they're expected, but not having to guess what that expectation is. And I've got a backup. I've got a team behind me here to help. All I have to do is ask for it. And I think that makes a big difference because it does exactly the opposite. I am not alone. I'm in this as part of a team to go forward, but I can't disguise the fact that I'm still accountable as an individual. I don't have a team so they can pull the wagon so I can ride on it every day. I have a team so that I can pull my share of the time, but there are times I need to ride on the back and there are times I need to be the one doing the pulling. That's a very good answer. You're hired, you start on Monday. Zara of accounting globally. <laughs> Bill, tell us a little bit about your work at the Succession Institute. What kind of challenges, issues would professional firms be having that they would need to say, let's get Bill Reeb in here right now? Well. 
Almost anything is a challenge because of the fact that through growth, what worked before won't work again. So True. there's no best practice now, is there? Because that's out of the window. You can't plan for a year. You can't even plan for 90 days with the complexity of what's going on sometimes. Well, it is true. The strategic planning horizon has shrunk from three to four years to one to two years. And I'd say right. a lot of times we're starting a strategic planning session thinking about 18 months because mm. it's so dynamic. But Part of the point I was making is that the things I do to grow to a million dollars are different than what I have to do to grow to $2 million. And they're different to grow to $4 million. And they're different to grow to $8 million. And they're different to grow to 10 or 12, $15 million. Every time we take a jump in revenue that's very big, we're adding staff and we're adding complexity and we're adding personal interactions. We're adding a level of accountability. If I've got 10 people total that work for me, then I can know all of them and I can know everything about them because there's not that many. But every time I add more people, that distance becomes greater and hierarchy all of a sudden starts to matter where it didn't before. And so consequently, the things that that we deal with on a regular basis is, and this is a point we have to make to every one of our firms because we can easily come in sounding critical. We need to change this. We've got to adjust this. And it's like, well, we're a $10 million firm. We're pretty good. And the point is I have to stop myself and say, you know, I should have started this at the right place. You guys are amazing, but you're also still operating as if you're a $5 million firm, but you're now a $10 million size. What worked to get you to 5 million is starting to show the cracks and starting to fail at 10 million. And if you keep going, it will eventually break down. And so what we're trying to do is look at firms and try to help them right size their governance, their, their compensation, their accountability, their, their processes, their adherence to processes. All of those things change no matter how big you are. There is no place in which you've arrived. I can now just duplicate the same exact process forever. Every single time you are just another jump and level of success, you have to do some backtracking to say, okay, I know we've been successful doing it this way, but it doesn't seem to be working as well. What do we need to change? And you're asking people, and we've seen it, we're asking people to give up practices and approaches to the business that have made them very successful and very financially strong or wealthy. And we're asking them to give that up and change. That is a tough thing to do, but we've also seen them do it and they're doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it partially because they know it's the right thing to do to help the firm get stronger. They're also doing it so that they can pass that firm on to the next generation of leadership. And mm. as they do that, things have to change to acknowledge that what might have worked for the founder will not work for the next generation of leaders. And so we need to put in processes to help support that next generation of leaders to be I, successful. And you and Tommy Berry, who worked at the Succession Institute, your team, you've been doing this for so long. You see the patterns, you see the trends, you've seen the future, if you like. You know how the good firms have navigated upscaling. You're making me think of my church. The pastors at my church have made no secret that they want to be a church of thousands. Now we're about 100 at the moment. It's just jumping up to 140, 150. Great that it's growing, but that means two gatherings on a Sunday and not one. And all of a sudden you've got twice the amount of resource that you need, twice the amount of meetings, twice the amount of people, twice the amount of sermons. And, and they don't think that far ahead sometimes. You've been there. You navigate that, don't you, for firms? I do. And it's a great example because what we what we learn in martial arts is everything in life is the same. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about a church, you're talking about a business, you're talking about some personal interaction. Mm -hmm. We use the same exact, the same exact decision processes. And, you know, I've heard people say, you know, you got one kid, a second kid's like easier. You know, you got two. It's it, well, it isn't. It isn't easier. Yes. There's some times during the day where they might play with each other, but it's two kids. 
it's not one and a half times one kid. It's like three. So, <laughs> so the idea now, I, there could be some number when you have 20 kids that actually does get easier. I don't know. But at the point that I'm making is that, you know, you go from 140 parishioners, 140 members to 200, you haven't doubled the complexity. You probably tripled the complexity because now I, I have staff that can really manage 100 very easily. But when I go to 200, I've got a lot of training that has to happen. I've got to upskill some people. My processes aren't built to handle that kind of volume. We have more exceptions because of things that are going on with numbers. The, the, the overall complexity, now I have constraints and resources. How do I leverage the resources? How do I manage them in a good way? Uh, how do I not turn this into feeling like it's a cattle car where I'm just running people in and out, but I still have that same intimate connection? You haven't doubled the effort. You've tripled it. And we, we're thinking like, well, we're just doing what we did. We just have one extra, one extra service. It's not that simple. No. And what it takes to manage in that environment is more processes, more training more consistency, more expectations, even to the, to the primary pastor as to what he or she might've been doing. Now, all of a sudden they need to follow the same kind of rules. Whereas before they could just kind of do it the way they wanted because it was just them. So to create the consistency, we have to have everybody following whatever rules are established. They all need to follow it. And that just creates a bunch of issues that we just kind of roll off our back is how hard can that be? Well, actually, pretty hard if you don't have a roadmap to get there. And I'm just thinking of the mantra, what got you here won't get you there. But even in COVID times, what got you there last year won't get you there this year because the whole game has changed. So uh, as we draw it to a close, Bill, I'd like you to get your crystal ball out and give some advice to the accounting leaders listening to help them navigate what's coming up over the next few years for accounting firms. Well, I think number one, we have to recognize that a bunch of our a bunch of our standard work that we do is commodity work that's simple to medium transaction kind of complexity. That is going to drop in price dramatically, if not much of it go away because of automation. And that's the bread and butter for professional firms, isn't it? Which is a problem. There's a lot of firms that that's 70% of their volume mm. is in that. Like I said, you take away 70% of your volume, you have no way to right size that ship. No. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, it's not going to go away like a cliff and fall off. It's going to slowly dwindle. So how do we make sure that we get ready for that? We have to stop paying lip service to be an advisor. And we need to make that a requirement. As long as we know what the client wants their house to look like that we're building, none of that is in jeopardy for us because we will be in a position to do all of that work. But historically, we're not the ones that know what the house is the client's trying to build. We are the ones like a painter. They're just bringing us in to paint the walls. And the less we know about what it is they're trying to accomplish, the more at risk we are of being a, a painter that is substituted. And the way I, I, I refer to this on a regular basis is that even if you're the best painter in the world, whoever's helping that client design the dream house and make sure that everybody's working towards building it exactly the way the client wants, mm -hmm. I could be the best painter in the world, but whoever's managing that construction project, all they have to do is look at the client and say, you know, I know Rob is the best painter in the world, but because I'm trying to manage a lot of complexity, I need to bring Bill in. He's not as good, mm -hmm. but I can work him in and get this done and I can keep everything on schedule. And that client is going to say, you know, I love Rob, but go ahead and hire Bill. You're the one that's in charge of, the, of making sure my dream house is built the way it's supposed to. And we we pay lip service to the fact that we're going to do that. And we say things like, as soon as I get done with my work, I'm going to go do that. 
but that work is growing. It is ratcheting up. And when you start looking at the merger market, we have a bunch of firms merging in other firms. They're not able to step up and do more. They actually are lowering themselves. So partners are doing more manager work and managers are doing more supervisory work. Why? Because the person and group we merged in doesn't have enough talent staying. So now the people we have have to move downstream instead of upstream. So we have a number of forces that keep making us dig ourselves a little deeper hole all the time. We know what's coming. We are in full charge of this. We have more opportunity than we've ever had, but we can't grasp that opportunity if we're not willing to take a hard look at how we advise our clients and how critical that role is that we make internally to develop those skills. We have time, but we will run out of time. Bottom line, Bill, good time to be coming into the accounting profession. I think it's a great time to be in the accounting profession. The sky's the limit. You can do anything you want. Because I think we're going to ultimately be professional services firms, Many of our firms that will have lawyers, they have engineers, you name it, technologists, we have more and more and more skills being added to the CPA firm. You can do anything you want in today's time. And there are so many things our clients need for help. How could this not be a great time? The reason why it's not a great time is for somebody who said, you know something, I'm comfortable with what I'm doing <laughs> and I don't want to change that. It's yeah. not a great time for them. Bill Reeb, it's been uh, an honor today. Thanks so much for your passion and your insights. Uh, fantastic interview. We really appreciate it. Anytime, Rob. Thanks for letting me be part of this. So it's our Here's What Works section. This is where Martin and I take a look at the practical aspects of being an accounting practitioner and giving you a few scenarios on what really works. And this is not just fly in the sky stuff, Martin. This is stuff that you and I have done throughout our careers that is shown to get results. Yeah, absolutely. And more importantly than that, shown to get results over and over again. Often when you hear from, I hate to see people of our ilk, but people who are in speaking positions or teaching positions uh, and they're teaching accountants how to do something, they often haven't done it. Or they had a client fluke it once. And, and as a result, that's how you do it, the one that worked once. And what's important for our listeners to know, Rob, is that this is over and over and over again. Different size practices, different areas of the world, year in, year out. This is road-tested stuff. And we're looking today at turning conversations into business. Now, what do we mean by this? Accounting practitioners have a responsibility and expectation to bring in new work. They, they do. You're, you're quite right. They do. And if I can think of a question that I've been asked very regularly in my consulting life, it, was be, it would be where they've said to me, Martin, how would you word that? And then I've worded it and they've gone, can you give us it again? <laughs> and they want, to, they want to take it down verbatim. Well, word for word and say exactly what I've said, which is difficult because I can't repeat it because I wasn't listening to what I said the first time. But nevertheless, this need for effective language, this need to get someone who is detail orientated and wants to explain everything they understand to become succinct is a challenge. So what we want to give you in this section, guys, we want to give you specific turns of phrase, specific conversations that turn your maybe polite chats with business owners into very realistic business opportunities. And I'm going to focus on two questions that accountants get asked more often than anything else and how we can turn those into opportunities. But going back to your observation, Martin, that accountants need a prescriptive structure for wording things. That's their nature, isn't it? They're all about the data. They're all about the structure, putting things into boxes, actually giving them things to say, not to turn them into a robot, 
but that works with their personality, their style, their approach. So they modify it for their circumstances so that it sits right with them and they deliver it naturally. That's when these kind of scripts work. That's right. And I think I've told this story on the show before. And if I haven't, you're in for a treat. But I was working with a practice, an eight partner firm a number of years ago. And we were, we were on first meeting objectives. So basically, what are you doing when you first meet with a prospect, no matter how they've come into your sphere of influence? I was explaining an agenda. And one of the partners was saying to me, no, 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 Martin, before that, before that, before that, and kept taking me even more basic than I was explaining. Flippantly, because I have been known to be flippant, Rob, every now and again. Uh, flippantly, I said, well, you might as well start with some uh, eye contact and a firm handshake. I started writing that down. I said, have you got a checklist for that? I said, really? You want a checklist that says, make eye contact, firm handshake? <laughs> I said, yeah, have you? I was like, no, no, I haven't. And nor should you have. But that is our starting point. For many firms, they, they are unsure of what to do to even that level. And that's a multi-million pound firm. We've got to start foundational though, Martin. Accountants are very technical in nature. That's the way their brain works. They're super smart qualifications coming out of the years. The softer side of things, not necessarily confident in areas like that. So let's give them what works. And I'm going to kick this off by saying that the question most commonly asked when one human meets another is anything along the lines of how are you? How are you doing? How's business? How are things? How's it going? That kind of general question, checking in. And most humans will answer with something like really busy, fine, thanks, not too bad. You know, those very British answers, mustn't grumble, can't complain, not too shabby, all of those things that reveal absolutely nothing about your situation. A lot of it's covering your back and trying to fake out how busy you are and how in demand you are, but it doesn't create any opportunities for further conversation. So before I come up with what they should be saying, anything you want to add to that, Martin? Oh, just to make a distinction between open and closed questions. Uh, and again, this feels too basic to give to our audience, but we're going to do it just in case. A closed question elicits a yes, no answer. An open question elicits an explanation that allows you to dig deeper. So when we're having conversations with prospects, we should always be thinking in terms of what's going to get us more information. How do you feel about that? What happened when that took place? Is that something that's happened regularly? Allows a conversation to occur, whereas are you happy with your current accountant? is a closed question that gives them a, oh, yeah, and it gives you nowhere to go with it. So we should stick to open questions, but please carry on, Rob. So if people ask you on a Monday, how was your weekend? The real reason they're asking is not because they want to know how your weekend was, but because they want to tell you how their weekend was. So after all of these, there's a return question where you fire it back. But here's my suggestion for answering the how's business question. And I'm putting in there, like I said, all those how are yous, how's it been? We've not spoken in a while. How are you doing? And we can say, yeah, doing great. Thanks for asking all of that stuff. How are you? But what if we said an answer and then gave an example afterwards that tells them really what we're doing? For instance, doing great. Working with a really interesting client in manufacturing right now and doing some fantastic work with them to help them expand into new territories. How's it going with you? So you sow that seed and you tell a little story. How have you been? Oh, yeah, I've been really busy. We're getting a lot of referrals right now for our, from our clients that want us to work with their customers because they love what we're doing in the area of X. So you put in something after that, I'm fine. And if you're going to say you're busy, say what you're busy with. What are you on with? Yeah, we're doing really well. We've just opened up this new 
uh, servicing our accounting around tax planning, inheritance tax planning, uh, corporate finance, whatever it is we're doing. We're get, getting lots of businesses coming to us and saying, can you help us with X? So you're now starting to sow seeds in the mind of that prospect, might even be a client. We just opened up this new line. We just brought on this new member of staff to deal with this. We've got a lot of demand in this area, so we're bringing in new capacity for that. Tell a story so that when people ask you how's business, you sow a little seed in their mind that makes them think of you when either they've got a need for that or someone they know has a need. Something I like about that is when you can even turn it into social proof and put it in the third person. To say, well, do you know what? The, the thing we're hearing more than anything from our clients is that they have a need for. The thing we're hearing from our clients, specifically in the SME sector, is that there's a real need right now for. And, and the way in phrasing that is designed to create resonance and empathy, where the person who's speaking to you to go, oh, me too. Yeah, well, what are you doing with clients on that basis? And it's an invitation to carry on the conversation. So I love the social proof and the third-party nature of that. The, the thing I would then take that forward on when, you, when after they've answered that question is, as Rob just said, guys, you know, they're not asking about your weekend to find out how your weekend was. It's, an, it's to earn the right to tell you about their weekend. And similarly, when you're speaking to prospects who perhaps don't know you, who aren't educated in terms of accountancy in general, uh, and indeed what your firm can do, then they want people to take an interest in them more than surface level how are you oh really did you really but to go beyond that so you've asked them how the business is you know or they've asked you how business is and there's an answer to that if we put that now in the context where we asked them we the accountant asked them the business owner how business was and they gave us a fairly detailed answer we can say and how does that play into the ultimate goals for the practice and have the partners come together to decide exactly what they're doing, you know, or how the directors, I should say, come together uh, to decide what exactly what they're doing. How is the business now performing versus expectations for this year? And ultimately, what is the business trying to achieve? And what kind of support are you getting at the moment to make sure these things happen? And all of those things are turns of phrase, Rob, that I find opens up the conversation. The penny that takes a long time to drop with many firms is that they are trained to believe they have to have all the answers because they've got to balance accounts to the penny. So they don't know where everything was. But in this form of communication, they need to know all the questions. The client or potential client has got all the answers. And their job is to know what the questions are and then to shut up and listen to the answers because the answers are going to produce the next set of questions. And we're talking here about turning general conversations, chit-chat, small talk, if you like, into business opportunities that can turn into revenue for you. Let me just add one more to close this off. It's another question that we get commonly asked, and this is more with a stranger. You might be chatting to someone at a networking event or as conferences and events are opening up right now. You're going to be meeting people that you don't know, potential prospects, introducers, and they will ask you the question, what do you do? This is your elevator pitch, isn't it, if you like? that, Answer that question where you would normally give a job title and you'd puff out your chest and say, I'm an accountant, I'm a CPA, I'm a partner in an accounting firm, which tells them absolutely nothing apart from how important you think you are. So what if we use that same principle of, well, I'm an accountant in a mid-tier firm, but you probably meet a lot of accountants. Can I just share with you something we're working on right now? You get a yes from that, and then you get permission to tell a little story. Well, we work predominantly with technology companies or creative companies, and we do this for them. And if you've asked the person that you're talking to what they do before they get a chance to ask you, then you can tailor their question. I once had a consultant. Uh, I asked him what he did, and he said, I consult. Great. And uh, he said, what do you do? And I said, well, I run a training company. 
I said, by the way, who do you consult to? And he said, training companies. <laughs> so he got in in advance, if you like, and he could tailor his response to me. So if you ask them the question, what do you do first? Then by the time they ask you, what do you do? You can say, well, we're an accounting firm. We specialize in manufacturing companies just like yours. So you're turning that conversation into a piece of business. Otherwise, it's just a throwaway line where you tell them you're an accountant and they just move on very quickly. Thoughts? Thoughts are that there comes a time when all of this conversation making has to lead somewhere. <laughs> yes. If you are at a social gathering with uh, someone who has caught your eye and you wish to ask them out, then you wouldn't just carry on asking questions about them endlessly. You would eventually capitalize on one of your shared interests to say, oh, you like Italian too? Have you ever tried that place down on Thingy Street? No? Okay, well, good any plans Thursday? You know, and you and you go in there for a light commitment, a light commitment of some sort of next action. Similarly, in networking situations, first meeting scenarios with prospects, end of year meetings with clients that you perhaps don't know that well, all of this conversation and fact finding has to go somewhere. And in the case of prospects, you know, one of the turns of phrase that I find very effective is, and will position me as the business owner, Martin. When's the last time you had someone take an independent view of the business? Uh, never. Why? Because you're probably fine where you are now. I don't know. But something we do, because bluntly, it, that, that this is one of the ways in which we do win work, is that we take an independent view of how someone's business is performing. This allows us to say you're in great shape, or here's some recommendations on how you can do even better. Either way, the choice is yours. There's no pressure on you whatsoever. But how would you like to take an independent view of your business from someone who's got 30 plus years experience of doing exactly that with exactly your types of business in exactly your sector? So here's what works, folks. Be a little bit more imaginative with your everyday conversations. Be a little bit more curious because who knows where it might turn to. We'll do more of these to give you some more word patterns and phrases and language to use because we know they're really helpful for you. Put it in your own style, but don't just go with the majority and close the conversation down. Think of a story, think of an example, think of something you can add on, think of a question you can bounce it back with that will turn a conversation into business. Martin, final thoughts? Just make sure your answers aren't boring. Oh, really? Hmm, things like that. Guys, I want, you, I want you to go for things like this. Tell me more about that. Well, how did that feel when it happened? So where do you go from here? And make sure that you're opening up the door to build a stronger connection, uh, resonance, or level of empathy with someone who's ultimately wanted to talk to you about their business and about how someone can help them. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And a big shout out to one of our newest commercial partners here on the podcast, it's Practice Ignition. Martin, how would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work, and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Zero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks. 
that means less admin and more time for client Rob. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. But that's 25% off with the code AIR21. And the link is info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influencers. Practice Ignition, it's time to ignite your practice. Welcome to our expert interview today. I'm thrilled to have with me today, Kevin McCallum from Accountancy Manager. Kevin, hello to you. Hey, Rob. Nice to be here. Good to have you with us. Kevin, for people that haven't come across you, just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are right now. We're always interested in the backstory. Sure. So I'm fairly new Accountancy Manager, so I'm the CEO there, uh, but I've been in the accounting software space for... My goodness, I know I look way too young, Rob, but over 20 years. So if I, if I go back to my you know, like first kind of move into that space, it was a, a company some people might remember called Pegasus Software. I say remember, it's still you know, a, a software business based in Kettering. So I, I moved into there from a, a banking career that I'd started prior to that. So that was back in 2001. So I spent a great few number of years getting to know the software industry and kind of understand how that all kind of hung together to some extent. And then I left there eventually around about 2006, 2000, no, so 2008, 2009, and then moved to a company called Free Agent. So Free Agent was one of the kind of like newer crop of, at that point, you know, online bookkeeping and accounting applications uh, based in Edinburgh, a great business. And I spent 11 fantastic years there in various roles, but latterly chief commercial officer. But towards the, the, the kind of beginning of last year, um, I was speaking to James and Alex, who are the founders of Accountancy Manager, the uh, cloud practice management solution. And they asked me to come on board as a non-executive director, just as I've already established many, more, more than I care to remember, years of experience, uh, giving them a, 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 hopefully a bit of a guiding hand and some you know, sort of wise words uh, when I can manage it because um, they're quite a new business. And then as that relationship evolved, we got to the point where actually it made sense for me to come on board more full time. So I took over the role of um, Chief Executive Officer in November. So it's only just a few months. Um, so I think, um, you know, feet under the table, you and I have discussed Rob already, you know, in, in the last while. And it, it's, it's a great business with a great set of people in there and a great team. So, uh, you know, whilst I'm still kind of working out the edges of some of this stuff, it's not completely new to me. So, so yeah, it's a, a few different roles in, in the past, but, but always been in that kind of like software and, and finance and accounting space. Sure. And we're an international show here. We have listeners all over the world. Just describe for us your take on where the accounting fintech software industry is right now. I think it's interesting. There's, there's been a few, without reaching from a dictionary, there's a few externalities really kind of playing about in this over the last five or six years that maybe haven't been present in the past and that it's been a lot of kind of moving online or moving to technology, some manual processes has been the kind of thing going back 10, 15 years, a lot of that, Robin, you know, the first time that, that computers could do invoicing for people was like, wow, you know, it's amazing. And, you know, sort of the prevalence, I know it's, you know, decades now, but spreadsheets coming in and actually taking that all over. But when I say externalities, it's things like the first tranches of making tax digital here in the UK. So there's a lot of kind of transition to these more, it doesn't demand, but it kind of predicates software really to do these things because you're, you're digitizing the process at the same time as the kind of filing and the reporting side of the things. The other one I was quite involved in actually in, in Fragent, and I think this is yet to, it is impactful, but it's yet to have quite a lot of impact on the accounting industry is the open banking changes that have come in, in, the, in since 2018 as well. And I think open banking and it's kind of like fast following that, which is open finance, which is a kind of broader set of, again, common theme here, digitization of data and what people expect to do with their data and the access that they can have to data bringing in importantly their advisors and the people that they work with and the accounting side of things, you know, has kind of played into that as well. And I think just generally there's, there's, a, there's a, 
another kind of transitional piece here, which is I'm conscious, you know, what age I am when I'm saying this, but there's the generational shifts that play into this and the kind of comfort that people that are now coming into the profession have with tools, with social media, with means of communication, with the expectations that their clients who themselves are kind of, you know, transitioning in and out of different types of business and different forms of business I've had. So I think there's a bunch of stuff that's kind of coming that's not from the inside of the profession going out. I mean, that's changing in itself and in, in the way that it kind of manages. But the, the stuff I've been most exposed to and most interested in and supposed most involved in directing some of those aspects of it has been these kind of bits and pieces coming in from the outside. And these things are, they create change. And I think that creates opportunity for a lot of people to think about how they, you know, what they do and how they operate on a day-to-day basis. And accountancy, it's been done the same way for many years. They're not known for their agility, but in some respects, they have coped well with the pandemic. They've pivoted when they've needed to. Do you still get a sense, though, that it's the software industry that is driving change in the accounting profession, or are they keeping up with you? I think that the accounting profession, actually, you're right, it's it's an assumption that people make that the accounting profession are, are that probably they won't seek this stuff out. Actually, my experience is they are quite often early adopters of a lot of these technology things because they are, you know, they, they, they've thought through the process and it is about efficiency for these people. It's about understanding that accuracy is important. So if there's any kind of processes and tools that you can bring in that, that kind of alleviate that. Where there's a bit of a tension sometimes is the, I think it can often be the case that if the accountants in these specific kind of functions, particularly with tax, um, it's feel like they're maybe perhaps bypassed by some of the software providers and just go straight to the client and bring them on board and promise them the earth and all those kind of bits and pieces. That's not a smart move. That's one I agree with, actually, because it's got to be in tandem. It's got to be the accountant and the client working together hand in hand to get the rest best outcome from that. Client's delighted to have the accountant do the, the stuff they don't you know, you didn't become a dog walker to do accounting. You didn't go into that profession. You want an expert making sure you're not making mistakes and doing the right things. But it's not just one-sided. So kind of bypassing the role of the accountant in that. I think that's where the software industry has sometimes had some difficulty in terms of bringing the accountants with them. But, but generally, I think, you know, accountants have for many, many years always been focused on ways of being more efficient, ways of, of, of actually doing things faster. Uh, and it's a bit of a, a perhaps less true now definitely than it was maybe 10, 11 years ago that there was a King Canute sitting on the beach, you know, kind of holding back the tide on these things. That's I don't really see that's true across the whole industry. Well, you mentioned the, the attitude, for want of a better word, of vendors in some like to take the accountants with them and make them the hero of the story, but others have been quite blatant in bypassing the accountant marginalizing the accountant you don't need an accountant going direct to the client the customer of the accountant because they have the data they own the data on those businesses why would they need an accountant what's your take on all of that there's some strange plays it it is and and again i mean to kind of go back into my kind of early software days you can think in terms of like channels or routes to market and you can so you can understand why a software company with a you know with a big spreadsheet and some quarter end figures that they've got to meet, we'll look at the accountants. Is that very much just a route into these kind of people? Um, it's, it's a bit one dimensional that though, I think, Rob. And, and I think that's what's perhaps coming back now. Whereas I know a, a number of the bookkeeping platforms in particular, I mean, obviously I, I was at Fridge and I have a good insight into, you know, Fridge really, really does have a fantastic partnership with the accountants it work with. I know that Zero have really focused in on that. Sage go back many, many years, you know, in, in terms of their, their relationship with accountants. But I think sometimes the, the, the software is just seen as a kind of like fishing ground for bypassing and those bits and pieces. It's a risky strategy that because all of the, the stuff I know and all the research we see and all the empirical as much as the kind of just instinctive stuff we know is that people trust 
their accountant to advise them, the client, as to what platforms they should be using. It's not a question of, of me as a, I don't come to, to, to use my accountant, Rob, and say, I'm using this fantastic bit of software you've never heard of, you better use that. It doesn't work that way. So it's, it's a risky strategy that you've got to really believe you've got enough marketing dollars to you know, outspend out, the influence that the accountants will have. And that's tricky. To what degree do you see software vendors collaborating with accountants to write and create and innovate the R&D stuff, the software that accountants really need to serve their clients? Is there much of that goes on? I think there's not as much as there could be. Um, and, and the thing is that it, it, is, it is challenging as a software developer to kind of listen to all stakeholders and, and kind of, you can't, you can't keep everybody happy, Rob, as, as you and I both know. It's the voice of the accountant in the kind of software development thing is is very important. I mean, again, I can talk from my personal experience on these things as um, you know, accountancy manager, you know, we've just had another session today where we invite our customers to come in and, and you know, the, what does this what does this button do type sessions, as we might call them, you know, to explain that. Because I think education, we might come back to that if you want, but I think there's a really key bit about how we bring the profession as the software vendor industry and the software industry, you know, is the education is a kind of real bit, how we unlock those kind of bits and pieces. Some are better than others, shall we say, you know, where they actually kind of listen and they advocate and they actually seek out these kind of bits and pieces uh, to do that. So I think it, it's mixed would be my take on that. I, I know from our point of view, it's something we do care about a lot. We've got a you know, private Slack set, uh, group that we have with a bunch of our, our users who see early versions of all the things that we're looking to do to get some immediate feedback. And, and most people will have beta programs, but, you know, you, you want to be listening as well. And one of the things actually that, that that's a, it's a lovely story, and I think, uh, you know, as much as it's improved by actually being true uh, is that the very kind of first launch of accountancy manager was at accountex so i think back in 2017 was the early stage and james and alex uh, you know kind of launched this and it was like they didn't know whether this was going to really land and and, and whether it was something that people would be interested in and it was which is great you know it, the timing was just really good it was just at the time when a lot of people were beginning interested in process and workflow automation and again cloud-based and stuff as well but the thing that really kind of um, I think caught some people's attention, as I understand it, was on the first day a lot of feedback from people saying, "Yeah, that's great, but wouldn't it be great if it did this and did that?" And Alex stayed up all night and wrote some of those improvements and then showed them the next day. And I think that kind of immediate feedback—it's challenging to do at scale, if I'm honest, right? But actually showing that you actually are caring about that as well. And I think there's a lot of this kind of conversation at the moment about accountants moving into becoming software vendors themselves. You know, software by accountants for accountants and all those kind of bits and pieces. But I think, you know, proof of the pudding is, is, is ultimately whether people use the product and stay with it. How hard is it to sell to accountants? And has that become ever more so over the years? It's hard sometimes to reach accountants, right? Because they're quite busy often. And, and, and it's one of those things. They don't wake up on a Tuesday morning and say, I think I'll change the practice management solution I've got today or, or I'm going to find a different, you know, payroll provider. Because stuff works generally and, and you know if it doesn't, but there's not necessarily, unless there's a significant reason to go and kind of look for these things. I think the other thing is that they, they rightly have kind of a bit of an expectation that you know what you're talking about when you, you go to these people. Because quite often the people who are doing the conversations or open up the conversations with accountants are not necessarily accountant trained or not accountants themselves. And sometimes that can cause, you know, not cause difficulty, but I mean, accountants have a, a understandably reason to expect that you know what you're talking about when you're trying to sell them something you have that, that, that they want to see. The, the third and probably most challenging bit from a software point of view is accountants have been identified by everybody and, and their dog, that they're the route to influence when it comes to the decisions that might be made by the vast majority of SME businesses in the UK and, and the US and, and beyond. So they're, they're instrumental in that kind of terms of influence. Who else are you going to go and ask? 
if you if you want a recommendation, but maybe your, your friends, you know, in, in the pub or or or, or that you know and stuff like that. But if you really want a professional opinion, do that. So they get quite a lot of contact from quite a lot of people quite a lot of the time. There's been some big plays by the big vendors to dominate and monopolize. We had Jody Paydow on the show recently, ex-bot keeper now at April, and they're challenging TurboTax over in the US, who recently dropped seven million on a Super Bowl ad. So you're talking about vendors with big budgets, big presences, accountancy manager, you're not the biggest player on the block. Do you see a, a, an us and them type divide? Like you get in the accounting profession with the big four and then everyone else. Yeah, and I touched on marketing dollars, uh, you know, in, in the kind of like simple parlance of these things. It, is it just a question about spending? You know, if you run enough TV ads, do you get enough kind of awareness that kind of out makes it irrelevant whether people actually can use your product, want to use your product, get value from using your product? And that sometimes can be based on a bit of a race to the bottom is the wrong phrase, Rob, but there's, there's some quite near term timelines in the UK anyway, when it comes to things like making tax digital, that there's, there's obviously a window of opportunity from people who, who have products and services that relate to that to really kind of double down right now and move into that, that point of view as well. I think that you can't compete with a, an Intuit, you know, who own TurboTax and, and that's it. Just frankly, you know, the, the billions and billions of dollars of, uh, available to them to do these kind of bits and pieces head to head. But I think you, you can, if, if you can continue to that educational piece, you know, and can confirm that people, you know, recommend your product to other people, talk about it, you know, hear about it and, and, and these kind of podcasts and other kind of routes to market. I think the accounting profession is there, there's actually not that many watering holes that everybody goes to drink at at the same time. They're quite small in number, you know, and I think that, that from that point of view, you can actually influence things, not just by overspending these things, but actually being quite good at what you do, you know, can actually go quite a long way on these kind of bits and pieces as well. But I think you have to be present and you've got to show up. It doesn't mean you've got to have the kind of fancy his car or the kind of you know, the biggest checkbook necessarily just to convince people. It is difficult selling to accountants in that they've got to look after the clients. There's so much they have to know. There's their own CPD, CPE, technical qualifications, staying up to date with that. They're now going to be technological geniuses and almost geeks to understand the world that you come from. And very often accounting firms have to make big decisions on which tech to buy strategically. How do you navigate through that with them holding their hand to make the right choices? Again, this has gone back back a few years now, but th there was a certain resistance eight, nine years ago to the kind of concept of cloud. And there'd be things like, well, what if somebody with a JCB digger goes through my phone line and that would be me, I wouldn't be able to do any kind of work and stuff like that. And I think people probably wouldn't have that same kind of concern these days. And I think the oh, security concerns, I wouldn't put anything on the internet, you know, that that that, that would be just be obviously immediately going to be stolen by hackers and used against me, identity theft and stuff. I think in reality, um, your point about technical geniuses, if the software is delivered and uh, packaged up and, and appropriately structured, that they actually don't have to be technical geniuses is an important part of that. There's a really interesting bit, and I think this will continue to evolve as things go forward, how all these different tech stack is maybe an overused phrase these days, but that, that how all these, these things interact with each other. We're not quite the end game on that yet, Rob. You know, and I think it's not just about having a suite of a single thing. You don't just buy a single super app that does everything because every accountancy practice is different. They've got a different profile of clients, they have different um, profile of, of, of staff members and those kind of bits and pieces. So I think that you would want to do your due diligence for your accountant looking at, at, at potentially in, in investing or, or, or buying or in some other terms, hiring essentially a service, which is what you're doing when you're you know, using cloud software these days. But you'd probably want to bet that somebody who's, who's a, a reasonably considered player in the accounting software space themselves has got good security protocols, you know, can manage these things. I would investigate what other people's experience of support is 
And that's a really, really key thing because um, I know when we do a lot of the kind of surveys that we do and across the industry, again, you know, the kind of, there's a lot of focus on kind of customer satisfaction and net promoter scores and those kind of things is one of the things that really drives that to the highest level is the quality of support. And we, we as you know, Rob, we, we won an award recently, you know, in the kind of like um, the, the UK, the, the counting webs at Software Excellence Awards. And, and again, all the feedback we had, there was the quality of our support and our product, things like uptime and those kind of bits and pieces. So it's easier these days to do due diligence or ask questions of the vendors more than it maybe would have been a few years ago to get to the heart of those kind of, can I trust you? Can I rely on you? Will you be there when I need your help to do these things? And that's a kind of really important part for an accountant to take into consideration when they make a choice. Are you a fan of the everything in one big box play or the get a bit of software to do a specific thing in the firm? Where do you stand? Uh, to not, I prefer the modular approach. And, and that doesn't mean it has to be entirely kind of spread out into 60 different kind of uh, unconnected pieces of Lego. And I think if you're just entirely in the kind of um, the hand of someone how capable, how flexible, how, how do you want somebody expect somebody to be a master of everything, I suppose, from that point of view. So I think that there's a, an ability to pick the, the best thing for what your requirements are, to my mind, makes more sense, given, and importantly, I think that they can talk to each other and they interact and play nice, for want of a better phrase, with the other tools that you use. So you look at what Zero and QuickBooks have a thousand plus items on their add-on list when you go to these bits and pieces I, frankly i don't know how anybody would find anything right if, if um my attention span wouldn't last that long rob but i think that you want some element of curation and some element of kind of like filtering to the right kind of bits and pieces but you know um you can have any color you want as long as it's black is probably not the answer in 2022 for this stuff mm. tell us about accounting manager what excites you most about where you're going I think um it excites me where we've got to already and i think the, the guys have done a fantastic job and it's one of those you know, flywheel jobs where you can't really look at any one particular thing. It's the combination of things that has been done, but the, the kind of culture we've got, but also the culture we've got in the users is really, really fantastic to see just how evangelical they are about the product and, you know, how much they rate it and that thing. I think where we're going, interestingly, is that we've built such a great product, you know, which was, again, James, who started the business, he was working in practice and it was his vision, you know, as to how we could improve this and automate these bits and pieces. I think for us going next, though, is that more, there's two aspects that really. One is, much more involvement we're working on this right now and in the next few months people begin to see that the kind of coming out and um some some fairly big news from our point of view around thinking workflow and workflow and process automation and just really really the meat appearing on all of those kind of like concepts essentially rob from that point of view uh, as well from our point of view we're improving a lot around the time and fee stuff but then post that i think kind of what i was saying earlier is the role that practice management could and should the kind of like um, the role it was born to play essentially of, of that kind of central repository of a lot of information and have the ability to actually connect into a bunch of other services and products. And I think we touched on a few things that are happening in the future, like making tax digital. What that will do is it will bring out other services that accountants will maybe give two different types of clients, maybe much smaller clients, maybe landlords is a good example. They maybe haven't done work for landlords. That won't be very expensive work in the most most numbers of cases. So you need efficiency, you need automation, you need process improvements and those kind of bits and pieces. So I think that that's our role that we'll be able to play in terms of making this stuff work by using technology rather than just throwing people at it is going to be you know, one of the biggest things we can make in terms of our impact on you know people's lives and accountants' lives. And there's a lot going on in practice management. How does accounting manager stack up with the competition? Well, I, I refer the honourable gentleman to the award win that we had very recently. So I think that <laughs> we, we do know that, you know, we, we're actually, you know, we're growing fairly fast in terms of customers come in there. Again, we have a lot of people referring other 
accountants and bookkeepers as well, importantly, to to, um, to accountancy manager. And that's one of the things that warms my heart, you know, is that people, a five-star review, essentially, you refer somebody else. Presumably, though, Kevin, if people come to accountancy manager, they're not a brand new company or accounting firm. They've worked with another practice management platform so why would they come to you what kind of things are they challenged by with where they are currently i think they probably in a lot of cases haven't actually used practice management software and that's the point is that they've done this on spreadsheets or um you know post-it notes on different people's desks and stuff like that so i think that's one of the, the kind of key things from our point of view is that actually it's there's a lot of people are going to benefit from this and then like you say rob rightly there's actually more and more people coming into the profession and, and they're coming into this, so they don't perhaps have the suitcases of baggage that they're going to slow them down in terms of what they're doing. They can actually do this stuff in a 2022 way now, rather than have to transition and, and, and digitize their processes. And, that, and that's, you know, we're, we're great for both of those kind of people. And you're not just UK, you're looking at an international expansion, are you, Kevin? At the moment, we're UK and, and actually increasingly Ireland, which is which is fantastic to see. So as in the Republic of Ireland, so we, we've, we're seeing a large number of, of actually larger practices in Ireland are now kind of um, waking up to the practice management stuff. And, and, and we are, you know, having some great conversation, bringing on some fantastic customers in, in Ireland as well. At the moment, we don't have immediate aspirations beyond those two territories. I think that what we want to do is really kind of cement our position, probably complete the original vision in some senses of all of the capabilities that we want to have from practice management stuff. But then naturally from us, Rob, you know, we, 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 we'll be looking at other um, parts of the world. I think um, English-speaking territories probably immediately from our point of view would be the kind of logical one to get to. But there's a there's a big bad world out there, as you know, and, and, and you have a lot of listeners, you know, in other parts of there. So, you know, we, we anticipate going to a number of these not too far future. And we'll put your contact details in the show notes, Kevin. Just finish by getting your crystal ball out and tell us what's coming up for the software industry that serves the accounting profession. Yeah, and I, th- I think it is this interoperability, which is, you know, sounds like I made that word, but the, the whole kind of working and playing nice with each other element of that that's going to have to continue to improve. I think after the feeding frenzy of MTD, this is from a software vendor point of view, is kind of run its course. I think we'll, we'll, we'll kind of normalize on that. But I think also, as I said, the newer people coming to the profession are, are, are going to be more naturally kind of attuned to these kind of bits and pieces. But I think how different bits of technology really talk to itself and not just to, to transfer data, but actually do things. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's, it's more about those triggers and those actions and, and, and that as well. The other thing is, is this kind of move to understanding and insight, you know, beyond just having a kind of store of record of stuff. What's that actually telling me? And some people are starting to do some really interesting and, and, and intelligent things with those kind of bits and pieces. But I think that will continue to evolve over the next while. And, you know, that there's a real fantastic opportunity. You talk to I me, mean, people talk about big data and AI and all those kind of bits and pieces. Without even getting into those bits and pieces, there's so much value locked up in terms of the things that people have been doing for the last number of years in their software software that I think will really come to the fore and you know it's going to be an exciting time to be involved in the accounting profession but in the software industry as well I think Rob. Finally if I made you international czar of the accounting fintech software industry or the, the global overlord what would be your message to them to deal with what's coming up over the next few years and, and serve these accountants to help the businesses they serve? Yeah, I think, I think that it probably it goes back to the that you have to listen before you do at some point. You know, I mean, it's fine having the, the best ideas in paper, but it's a bit of a, not quite a tandem ride, but you should be working side to side on the on the road anyway. Do you know what I mean? In terms of where we're... More collaboratively. Exactly. You know, rather than just, you know, we have some great ideas, try and 
please buy our things. You know, it's, it's going to be kind of like not joint develop. That's I'm not quite going that far, but I think it's going to be stuff that, that makes sense for a lot, a lot of people to um, that we want to be going to the same kind of same place on these things. And, you know, we're here ultimately, you know, to kind of provide products, services, you know, training, education to people to improve their lives. And, and technology should be for good reason and for good. So I think we want to do both of those. Kevin McCallum, that's been terrific. Thanks so much for your insights and your passion today. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. I don't know how we managed to cram so much into a very short show, Martin, but we've got so much done already this week. However we do it, Rob, it would appear that 22,000 nearly listeners now agree that we're packing in the right stuff. So let's just carry on as we are. Yeah, which is great content for accounting practitioners and the fintech software industry that serves them. And a wrap-up of what's happened in this week's show. We kicked off with the news, Martin, and some big spending at the Super Bowl. For practitioners who are listening to us, we're very grateful that you spend time with us, you know, and... What we mustn't do is ever become fear-mongers for you in the news section to go, oh, no, this is coming. Oh, my goodness, have you seen what's lurking under the bed for you? But you'd be, you'd be wrong to ignore this one. Whether we're talking about Intuit, as we did in this news item, with regard to their adverts at Super Bowl, or whether we're talking about some other fintech, it's an organization that has a major design on your client base, maybe for taking it over, maybe for controlling the narrative of it, maybe for deciding which accountant they use according to who's using their software at any given time, they do have designs on your client base. So this subject that we visited uh, historically about who owns the relationship is becoming increasingly important. You own the relationship, guys. You and your client have that, um, to, to quote a famous Australian, and that financial intimacy together. And as such, you must protect that and guard that, not just because it's your future revenue, but also because it's the trust that has been built up between you and your client over the years. So, yeah, Super Bowl ads. You'd be forgiven for thinking, what's that got to do with me, a provincial practice somewhere in Paris? And you may think there is no relevance. There is a huge relevance, and that is that today, the US, tomorrow, the world. So, guys... Be aware of what's going on around you in the fintech sector because they're not just suppliers to your practice. They're also increasingly becoming your competition as well. Mm. Then we had an interview with the magnificent legend that is Bill Reeb, owner of the Succession Institute, and he talked all about hybrid working. The world of work is changing. We hear a lot about the great resignation, how accountants are becoming increasingly overwhelmed, anxious, overloaded. There is a lot going on. The pandemic is still with us, even though it's hopefully been phased out. What does the new normal look like? And how do you as an accounting firm owner or leader get the right people in doing the right kind of jobs in the right environment and even manage this hybrid working? It's a mess, but it's also an opportunity. And Bill Reed talks us through all the different things that we need to know. And then in Here's What Works, Martin, we tell accountants how to sell. It's important that they have this skill set in their armory, isn't it? We went into detail on this one, um, and we, we really wanted you to understand what the progression is, because it is a process, and we know you like a system and a process and a procedure. And taking a conversation, an initial handshake and a hi, how are you at a networking event, and taking that through to a fee-paying client can be done and is done regularly. You might not see much of it, but I do. So what we want to do in this section is we want to show you exactly what language to use, you know, what, what the lay of the land is, how these relationships develop, and how you could take control of your conversations and, and turn them into a long-term relationship. We know that firms have a seven to 10-year life cycle with their clients, and that is possible just from starting from a high. So this section was all about showing you how to do that. And Rob, you know, when I was a young man, because I was a young man once, 
Uh, I dated a young lady uh, with the last name of McCallum. So I'm very, very interested in anybody called McCallum uh, for nostalgic reasons. And I believe you were talking to Kevin McCallum. Kevin McCallum, indeed. He's a, a accountancy manager. It's a big practice management software platform here in the UK. And he's been in the software game a long time. And we've had conversations, Martin, about the increasing power of the fintech and software vendors, that industry, in shaping what accountants are doing, saying, thinking, acting. They've got a very strong voice, hence borne out by being able to spend $7 million at a Super Bowl ad. That was an accounting fintech vendor. So Kevin's charted the evolution, if you like, of accounting and fintech software. And he talks us through the key aspects there. And it's really important for the accounting practitioners listening to develop their commercial awareness, their business acumen, upgrade their skills and to know what's going on, to stay informed and to stay relevant. So it's good to be able to talk about the technology is an increasingly part, uh, important part of the game. And without it, without people like Kevin McCallum, who knows what's going on, sees through all the bull, calls it how it is. He gives a very fair assessment of where the fintech industry is at, and there's a lot to talk about there. We leave you with the message that if you want to be better, sell better, act better, advise better, and serve better your clients, then you need to be tuning into the Accounting Influencer Podcast to uh, stay informed and stay relevant. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on next week's show. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett.